0: Some of you know I retired just a few weeks ago, and um, every now and then I see some friends and they say, so how are you doing since retirement, and what are you doing? And every time I mention that I've been able to be with you guys for a few Sundays, there's just a little bit of joy that swells up within me, and it occurs to me how much I am enjoying getting to be with you. So I'm so grateful for this opportunity uh, and for your kindness. So... Today we are going to be in uh, Colossians 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. Uh, I do want to encourage you to have a a Bible open in front of you so you can be looking at the text as we're talking about it. Um, I'm going to ask if you'll pray a prayer that can be a little risky. So I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer this morning. Lord, would you bring... A holy discontent with the status quo. In other words, just that business as usual. I'm kind of going along on autopilot. Lord, would you bring a holy discontent with status quo? Because I I think God wants to invite us into further journey, further advent, adventure with Him some of which is a little scary. It's outside of our comfort zone. And if we are very satisfied with status quo, it's going to be really tough for us to go there. So I'm going to leave it there. That's your prayer to pray. Lord, make me discontent. Give me a holy discontent with status quo. Uh, One of the reasons that I'm asking you to pray that way today is because we're going to be talking about relationships and what God's up to with relationships, Oscar Thompson has said the most important word in the English language is relationships. He says that for a lot of reasons. I'll leave that for you to ponder. Daryl Johnson said it this way, at the center of the universe is a relationship. God, Father, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit. At the center of the universe is a relationship relationship. And it is out of that love and intimacy in the Godhead, out of that we were created. For that we were created. And when uh, the fall entered the picture and humanity uh, kind of blew up God's beautiful intent for us, the work of redemption has been all about bringing us back to that kind of relationship so that it's out of the love relationship of the Godhead that we have been redeemed and for that relationship that we have been redeemed. Every other relationship is a reflection of the relationship we get to have with God And serves a purpose for our relationship that we get to have with God. So that I would put it to you this way God has chosen to use relationships to change our lives. It's no small thing, the relationships that you are in. Now, for people that are not in Christ and don't understand divine purpose, because of God's common grace, grace that's common to all people, those in Christ, those not in Christ. Relationships can be a great blessing to great numbers of people. But unless we are in Christ, the way Paul's been describing that in Colossians, uh, unless we are in Christ, we are missing the empowerment that he brings to relationship and the divine purpose that he's bringing to relationship. And so if you're here today or you're listening online and you are in Christ, then be encouraged. He is bringing a unique divine power to enable your relationships in ways that change your life and change the lives of others. That is a big deal. It's a very big deal. So uh, where we have been just last week We were in uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, where Paul is saying, hey, you've got a transformed life. Jesus is changing who you are. Then it looks like this. You're going to put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying, and many other things. It's like taking off an old garment, taking off an old life, and you're going to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and so on. Now, we talked about it last day. I won't revisit all that, but let me just remind us of some of the connotation of what Jesus is up to, what Paul's trying to advocate. Compassionate hearts is, in my mind, one of the most beautiful words in the Bible Old Testament and New. It has to do with being able to feel with people at a gut level. So in another writing of Paul where he says, uh, if we truly love, then we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn, that that English kind of language still falls a little bit short in helping us to fully understand what's what's up with compassionate hearts. So when you're with people, walking with people in life, and, and they have something really hard going on, you feel it right along with them. It's very empathetic. And when it's a, a joyous or a celebratory time, you're able to go there with them. It's very other-centered. Uh, I have a good friend whose adult daughter in her 50s had a really terrible battle with cancer and about five years ago passed away. She was one of the sweetest women that I've known. And yesterday was the fifth anniversary of her passing. And not a few times, James and I have sat down and we've, as, as we've talked life, we've talked about his losing Amy, and I'm going to go there again. He would begin to shed a tear, I'd begin to shed a tear. And yesterday, I was aware it was the fifth anniversary. She'd been on my mind and heart through the day, and then last night, Sherry and I were out for a social thing, I get a text from James's wife Just saying, thank you for walking with James. He needs your companionship in his grief today. Well, that just started it all over for me. (laughs) We're sitting at a fun outdoor event last night, and I started tearing. (laughs) But this is the kind of thing God does in us as he is transforming us. He gives us his heart increasingly, So that we care about people and care about what's going on in them. So that we can grieve with them or celebrate with them. Whatever's going on. Uh, Kindness. Is the uh, sacrifice or uh, putting aside my own preferences for your sake. For the sake of somebody else. What a wondrous thing that, that God does to impart some of his character, which is kindness, into us. Uh, humility, where I am being empowered to be free from self-protection and self-promotion, free to make much of Jesus, free to be a reflection of his goodness and his glory, meekness, not weakness. Having to do with not just self-control, but kind of a spirit control of your life. God's given you power. God's given you influence. God's given you some kind of platform with some number of people. And you are able to steward that, use that in measure because of the work of meekness in you. You don't exploit your position or your power, but you graciously use it for the betterment and the blessing of others. Uh, Patience sometimes translated long-suffering, where I'm able to endure not great things, primarily relationally, with a grace that is beyond me. All these words are relational words. The, The new life we're putting on is relational from beginning to end. And so that's where we were last week and and we have to remind ourselves the reason Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Colossae was to address what? Heresy that was going on in their midst. So what is the problem? What's the falsehood that Paul is addressing with these kinds of words, these kinds of pictures about the, the new life putting away the old life? Quick reminder, There were a number of people in the believing community that uh, we would refer to as Judaizers. That's to say they'd been Jewish before they'd become Christian. They brought their Jewishness into their Christianity in this way. They were basically saying you you must do the Jewish practices in order to be a Christian. And so you must uh, obey the dietary laws. There must be things that you eat and drink things that you don't eat and drink. You must practice the festivals and the festivities and and the religious holidays, all this kind of thing. And what Paul is trying to highlight for them and for us is that the Christian life is not about the performance of religious ritual. The Christian life is about transformation. Where your life becomes altogether new in the likeness of Jesus And relationships is a primary means of God doing that change, doing that transformation in you. So how does he do that? If you struggle with kindness, how do you move from being unkind to kind? How does that take place? I think you already know God doesn't zap you. There's an unkind guy. Now he's kind. It doesn't work that way. What instead we find is something like this. He puts us in relationships that act like heavenly sandpaper. Does that bring anybody to mind? That brings a few people to mind who have just rubbed my life mostly in an irritating way. Now there's a few that fit the kindness. But the people that have been a real irritation to me through the years have been like heavenly sandpaper to me. For God to rub off the rough, non-Christ-like areas of my life. So, Colossians three, 3 thirteen and 14 says, Hey, uh, here's what it looks like to be a believer. You bear with those who uh, need you to be alongside of them. You forgive those who need forgiveness. You love those who need love, etc. How do you bear with people who are unbearable? How do you forgive terrible behavior? How do you love hard to love? Disruptive, obnoxious people. How does that happen? He'll go into talking about a number of things that we are to practice. He brings a power and a grace to our lives so that we can practice things like peace. Now, what the Bible means when it talks about peace is not the absence of problem or the absence of trouble. Jesus was the embodiment of peace, and he had all kinds of religious opposition and political opposition, uh, terrible battles uh, with the devil and temptations, and so on, uh, brutalizing uh, treatment, uh, social rejection, on and on. We could go with how difficult his life was, and he had peace through it all. Biblical peace is that sense of well-being, God's at work, God's on the throne, God's sovereign. I will trust him with the circumstances that are going on in my life. Uh, and I, I told Tommy the other day, I'm so grateful for the song selection we've had every week. The songs this morning were perfect for that point. Uh, the life that we are building is, is on a rock, not the sand, It's on a rock of the person of Jesus and the purposes of Jesus, which is, in in part, peace. He says, we're to practice thanksgiving. Paul says this. Now, thanksgiving is this keen sense of how blessed you are. It's a keen sense of the life He's given you and the beauty that He's surrounded your life with, and, and uh, how glorious redemption, uh, buying you back from the slavery of sin and setting you free to be a son of God, a daughter of God, a joint heir with Christ, a, a co conqueror with Jesus, etc. It, it's uh, have a mindfulness of that so that you live in perpetual gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Practice thanksgiving. Practice the word of Christ. This is what we've been doing the last few weeks. What's the word of Christ say about you? That you are a beloved son. You're a beloved daughter. That you're an heir to all the provisions and all the promises of God. That there's nothing you can do to earn any of that. You are the recipient of gifts of his grace. And you get to be in uh, the fellowship of the Godhead now and forever. On and on we could go. That's what he says about you. What's the word say about Christ? He's not just a prophet. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just this embodiment of great morality. He is God and Savior and Sovereign, Creator, Sustainer. On and on we could go. Know, the things we talked about in the first uh, two weeks. What's The Word of Christ say about hope. We said it two weeks ago. Hope is not found in science and social engineering and education and in money. and all. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. And we have Jesus and therefore we have hope. We have confidence about what's going on in this world today and what will go on in the world that's to come. And then what does the Word of Christ say about life? We talked about this last week. That we really can't be of any earthly good unless we are heavenly minded. Unless the mind of Christ is consuming and overtaking us. The word of Christ, we practice it, we practice it. We practice not just what it teaches, but what is true in us and around us. And then uh, Paul says, as we wrapped up last week, practice worship. and In everything you do, do it as unto the Lord and for his glory. Uh, That's worship. Worship is the act of showing the worth of someone or something. And so when we make everything as unto the Lord, we're showing his worth. He's worthy of all of who we are and all that we are to be about. We practice peace, thanksgiving, the word of Christ, and worship. And we do so, we practice these things in relationship. And so we want to get really clear today. Uh, The truth about relationships is they're not primarily about making me happy. This is revolutionary for some of us. Relationships are not primarily about making me happy, about making me fulfilled. Or as the movie tried to contend, about completing me. I love my wife, but she does not complete me. And I certainly don't complete her. The only one that can complete us is Jesus. And we live out that completion in relationship. So, relationships are where I work out the new life that Jesus is putting in me. So uh, a spouse becomes a primary practice partner. Uh Uh-oh. Children become practice relationships. Parents were part of you working out things in relationship. So that gets us into today's text. That was all for free. That was just introduction. You're like, whoa. But it'll go a little quicker at this point. Paul's primarily going to address this matter of relationships being used of God to change our lives in two primary arenas. One arena is the family. One arena is, we're going to call it work. And uh, what we're going to be looking for is how do I practice peace, thanksgiving, the word of Christ, and worship in these relationships. And we're going to start with work first. And before we get into the text, let me give you a little context. So Paul is going to talk about slaves and slave masters in terms of this work relationship point. And for points of clarity, um, you need to understand the historical context. In Paul's day, the Roman Empire... Uh, was filled with slaves. About one-third of the entire population in the Roman Empire were slaves. The second third of the Roman Empire population were former slaves. Slavery was a predominant uh, cultural class of people that helped the social function of that empire in that day. Uh, There was very few people that were born free, always lived free, owned the property, uh, enjoyed all the perquisites that come with citizenship and that kind of thing. So at one point in Paul's travails where he declares in his defense, uh, I'm a Roman citizen and everybody goes crazy about changing how they've been treating him, it gives us a little hint of the perquisites that went with Roman citizenship and being a free person, etc. Because the, the majority of people had not been in that kind of space. The other thing you need to understand about slavery in those days is that it was not race based, nor was it religiously based. It was a social function. And not a few times the slave had the same educational level as the owner, um, had a, a similar kind of lifestyle uh you know, was able to provide for his children and uh, see to their education and something of their future and so on. And sometimes free people would fall into such a state of life that they would by choice, enter slavery as a means of advancing their cause. So the point is, Pre-Civil War slavery in America is not the picture of what we're talking about in Paul's day. Slavery is still a bad thing in Paul's day. uh, But it doesn't have all the horrendous, horrific things that went with American pre-Civil War slavery. Nevertheless, uh, there were abusers of their power and their station in life. And there were some slaves that had some, you know, really bad life. But by and large, um, it was not what you typically would picture with slavery. So with that context, here's what Paul's going to say about how do we function in the relationships in the arenas where we have to work. And uh, beginning with verse 22, he says, Bondservants, servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, so it looks good Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And we see a whole lot of this lived out in a nearby relationship between um, a guy named Philemon and Onesimus. We don't have time to get into all that, but that's a a great example of how Paul addresses Philemon and Onesimus, the slavery situation, the master situation. But here it is in a nutshell in uh, what he has to say to the Colossians. In short, friends, it's this. Employees work hard as if you're working for the Lord, not for your employer. Not just for eye service like hey, it looks like I'm working hard or even just to please people and get them off your back, but consciously understand my work, my service, my creativity, my sacrifice, whatever, is all to be unto the Lord. That mentality shapes your life. That mentality is a part of the transforming work of God. And employers, bosses, supervisors, managers, be just And fair. Whether or not the employee is seemingly deserving, or he's acting like a jerk, or he's terribly obnoxious, you still lead with justice and fairness. In both places, me relating to a supervisor, supervisor relating to an employee. As I carry out this kind of mentality, these things are done unto the Lord and for the Lord's glory, it changes my life. And and I could tell you a million stories to illustrate this, but let me move on to the family arena and we'll paint some pictures there that hopefully you'll get uh, for the work arena as well. So Paul gives his attention back in verse 18 then, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So let's jump in where people fear to trod these days. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, let's get a broader biblical context for this kind of statement the scriptures are filled with teaching us about submission uh, and calling for us to submit to a number of people and or situations in fact uh, in the similar passage uh, in Ephesians 5 to this The entire section is preceded by two verses. One is verse 18 in chapter 5 that says, be filled with the Spirit before you move into this relational arena. And number two, in verse 21, Paul says, now let's be practicing submission one to another. And then in verse 22, he gets into the same material that he's done here in Colossians. Wives, submit to your husbands. So, wives, you're not the only submissive people in the picture here. All believers are to learn submission and practice submission to the glory of God and for the shaping he can do with that of our lives. The point is is that submission turns out to be one effective means for God shaping the lives of women. That doesn't mean men never have any submission work to do. Similarly, when he talks to husbands and says, love your wives as Christ loves the church, which is a very sacrificial, self-deferring kind of love, a redemptive kind of love, a love to see something beautiful happen in the life of the one you're loving. Uh, Husbands aren't the only ones that the Bible admonishes to love. Uh, We're all admonished to love in a variety of contexts, but in the context of marriage... The loving of a wife sacrificially is an especially effective means of shaping the life of a man. Parents uh, don't provoke your children and children learn how to obey your parents. Now, some of you have a story where you didn't have a very good parent and they provoked you to no end. So How can uh, God, through the Apostle Paul, say such things to us? It's because in these contexts where we're learning to practice peace, thanksgiving, the Word of Christ, and worship, we get shaped, we get transformed. So, for example, uh, when I was 20 years old, yeah, I can remember that far back, uh, I was a junior in college. I had been away from home for three years Um, I was away from home nine months of the year, and then I'd be at home for like 10 weeks of the summer and hold some kind of summer job. And when I would come home, uh, you know, I had had all kinds of freedom and liberty uh, on the university campus. Did what I wanted to do, go where I want to go, never have to connect or check in with anybody about it, just, you know, all kinds of freedom. When I come home... Uh, it was like I was in junior high school again. Who are you going with? Where are you going to be? What time are you going to be home? No, I want you home earlier than that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm 20 years old. So here's what God began to communicate to my heart. And uh, my parents at that point were not believers, were not in Christ. Uh, and I had committed my life to not only Christ, but to ministry in college. So they were they were pretty... Mindful of my life, they were really watching what was going on in my life because there was a lot of change happening for me from how I had been in junior high and high school where I had been anything but obedient, anything but submissive. And so now uh, it's like God saying, no, I want you to fully practice honoring parents, obeying parents, submitting to their will, and trusting me And so if some dictate came along my way that seemed unreasonable, uh, without respect to my maturity and age, et cetera, the peace of God would come upon me. God knows what's going on. God's in control of all this. Uh, If you're going to have a hard time dealing with some unreasonable controlling behavior of a parent, He will give you the grace for that and do something redemptive and positive out of that. Trust me. And so I would practice peace in that summer experience being at home. I'd also practice thanksgiving. What is it that God's been doing in my life these last three years? And what kind of future has He planned? And uh, what impact does what He's doing with me have upon uh, my parents and other family members, and so on? And so uh, I was getting grace to practice thanksgiving for circumstances I was not particularly glad about. And able to practice the word of Christ. What does He say? about who I am and what he's up to and uh, the potential of what he is uh, at work about. If he's at work uh, to make all things work for good for those who love and follow him, what good thing is he doing out of this summer of submission? and practice worship do it all as unto the Lord so it's not do it with an attitude not do it with reluctance not do it with a grouchy cranky kind of disposition but as unto the Lord now uh, God did some incredible shaping of me in those 10 weeks of that particular summer because I engaged these relationships in the way Paul's describing now it doesn't always work out this way But if you were to talk to my parents, they would tell you that they later came to faith. Largely in part because of the way I had lived with them after making these commitments to God. He was up to beautiful, redemptive things in my little season of unpleasantness or inconvenience. That's the truth about relationships, friends. God is always at work in them. If you've got a boss situation, or if you've got an employee situation, or if you've got a marriage situation, or if you've got a parent situation, if you've got a child situation, all of them matter. God's at work in all these arenas for the shaping of your life and for the impacting of others for the glory of Christ. That's why we prayed at the beginning, Lord, Give me a holy discontentment with status quo, with my just kind of getting along and minimizing irritation and kind of flexing my muscles and grunting and and groaning my way through stuff. Give me a discontent with that so that I can lean into the full transformative shaping stuff you're doing in me and around me. So here's the moment of decision will you accept as true that your relationships are a means of God's transforming work in you that's the truth that's what paul was getting at and this week by his grace would you give special focus to one arena not everything you don't have to everything but this week special focus on one arena. And I would say it needs to be the arena where you've got the most irritation. Is it your family situation? Is it a work situation? Is it some other social situation? Wherever that is, God, this week, I especially want to be able to yield to you, practice the faith, and see your transformative work in me. Let me pray for you. So Father, as these friends today ponder what you have said and how you have challenged, how you have invited them into grace. We pray for your spirit to stir that holy discontent, to stir that hunger and thirst for all of who you are and all that you're up to. We pray that for your glory and for our joy in you, in Jesus' name.